passion for God and compassion for our neighbor, reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. For those of you who are new, my name is Kurt, and I'm one of the pastors here, and it's great to have you. I'd like to ask you if you could take out your outlines. I have your outlines in your bulletin. We use those. Also, open your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 4. I don't care if you use a paper Bible or if you use an electronic Bible. That's all fine for me. 2 Timothy chapter 4 is Paul's final chapter that he wrote in his final letter that he wrote. And it's to Timothy. And Paul is charging Timothy and encouraging Timothy about what it means to be a faithful pastor. Because very soon, Timothy, Paul will be dead. Paul will be gone. As we know, Paul was writing this letter from the Mamertine prison in Rome. Not long after this, Nero would chop off his head and the baton would pass. And the leadership in the church would move from Paul's hands to Timothy's hands. Now in these first five verses of this final chapter, Paul is summarizing a charge for Timothy about what it means to be a faithful pastor. So Timothy knows what to do and Paul is gone. But I'd like to also mention that these five verses are not all of what it means to be a faithful pastor. And as I looked back upon 1 Timothy, which we've studied in previous years, and 2 Timothy, which we've studied in previous weeks, there's a lot of other things that are involved with being a faithful pastor. I'll mention some to you. Like in 1 Timothy, Paul talked about Timothy needing to make sure he selected healthy elders and healthy deacons. He also talked about the importance of pointing out error and refuting it. He said that a faithful pastor will run from the love of money, but will run after righteousness, godliness, and gentleness. And a faithful pastor will go out of his way to reproduce himself for the next generation. And we find that in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. So these five verses that we are studying that talk about what it means to be a faithful pastor are not all that are in that list. They're just sort of a summary or a highlight of that list. You know, as I was thinking about uh, this list, the things that Paul has challenged Timothy to, it sort of occurred to me, they all have to do with Timothy's character, how he spends his time, and who he is as a person. Paul doesn't say anything about to be a faithful pastor or to be a good pastor. You have to grow a church to a certain size. doesn't say anything about making sure you have so many people come forward to altar calls. doesn't say anything about making sure that the church budget is a certain size. Today, those are the things that we often measure success by, isn't it? How big is your church? How many people follow you as a pastor how many likes do you get for a sermon? Paul doesn't say any of that to Timothy. Everything is about character, who you are as a person, and how you are spending your time. That reminded me of an article that I've seen on the internet. And maybe you've run across this article or a similar one that's been built on the same theme. People have been talking about the difference between 
excellence and success. And I put a web link in your outline for you so you can look this up. Because excellence and success oftentimes are thought to be the same thing, but they're not. They're very different. I'll give you some of these contrasts. Success means you're admired in the culture. You're the top dog in your pack. But excellence is different. Excellence means being the right person, doing the right things. Success, that's what people see on the outside. But excellence, that's who you actually are on the inside. A person can be successful and yet be a slacker. Say, for instance, you can have a top salesman in a company, and that title came because that salesman had a massive sale at the beginning of the year, but then took the next 11 months off to be a slacker. But you can't be that way if you're a person that's committed to excellence. Because a person that's committed to excellence is always doing their best, even if they're not successful in the eyes of the world. I put in your outline two definitions of these things, and I'll, that would help you to remember these after the message. Success is attaining the cultural goal of wealth, power, prestige, and privilege. And by the way, you can cheat your way to success, can't you? You ever heard of athletes that take performance-enhancing drugs so they win? Cheating their way to success? But by the way, you cannot cheat your way to excellence. There is no shortcut. There is no cheating. Because then you wouldn't be excellent by definition. So excellence is the pursuit of quality in one's work, whether it is recognized or not. Let me give you a few more contrasts. Success is only measured in relationship to other people. That defines if I've been successful or not. But excellence, it's measured in relationship to our potential. Like in a track meet, we had the state track meet this past week. Success would be, did I get the gold medal or not? But excellence was, did I run my personal best? That's what really matters. Success is being admired by other people. Excellence is knowing, did I do my personal best or not? Success is about pleasing people. Excellence is, did I please God at the end of the day? Few will attain success, but by the way, being excellent, that's offered to every single one of us at any moment we want it. Success, you step on people and you step over people to get to your goal. An excellent person says, I love my neighbor as myself. Success can be found by shortcuts. You can lie to a friend, you can cheat on a test, you can steal to get rich, but there is no such thing as a shortcut to excellence at all. And excellence is truly what we want. Excellence is more important than success. Now the question is, how does any of this apply to pastoring, which is what we're talking about this morning? Many pastors, I'm just going to tell you, are shooting for the wrong goal. They're shooting to be a success. They're not shooting to be excellent. And the inability to understand the difference and shooting for the one, wrong one leads many pastors astray. 
Pastors that are focused on success are always about, can I get the bigger church? Can I get the bigger salary? Can I get a position of more authority, more power, more status? But you never... Paul never told Timothy to shoot to be a success, did he? Every single thing he told Timothy was to be a man, a pastor of excellence. Timothy, you need to be the right person. Timothy, you need to be about doing the right thing and leave the rest to God. As I was studying this, uh, I ran across a quote which I thought was really good about the danger of being a person who focuses on success. Because if you focus on success, it can lead to a real tragic end. You like this one? I have it in your outlines for you. If you pursue success and try to move beyond your ability, you will only magnify your incompetence for everyone else to see. That's a good one, isn't it? Anything come to mind? People who have obtained successful positions and magnify their incompetence for everyone else to see? So success, or success is pursuing size, it's pursuing numbers, it's pursuing status, it's pursuing power. But excellence is pursuing being the right person and making the right choices before God. Now as we go to verses 1 through 5 of 2 Timothy chapter 4, these verses are all about what will it take for Timothy to be an excellent pastor, a faithful pastor, the one that really seems to be what we need to do. So hopefully you've found at this point 2 Timothy chapter 4 in your Bibles. I'd like to ask you to stand out of reverence for the Word of God. I'm going to read the first five verses, but the lion's share of our study this morning will just be on verses 3 and 4. Paul says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. That ends the reading of God's Word. You can be seated. Because it was two weeks ago when we were last in this text, let me just take a few moments to review what we learned in the first two verses. There are actually um, eight qualities that Paul gives Timothy in these five verses of what it means to be a faithful pastor, and we went over three two weeks ago. And they're in your outline. We'll, we'll briefly touch on them. Number one, a faithful pastor must understand the seriousness of his job. He says in verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and by his kingdom. And the point we learned two weeks ago is a faithful pastor must remember that they will be judged by Jesus. Everything a pastor teaches 
<clears throat> everything a pastor does in the counseling room, everything a pastor thinks about in private, and what he watches on television, what he watches on YouTube, what he watches on the internet, all of those things will be reviewed by Jesus, and the pastor will be judged by Jesus. That's why Paul says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ. Pastor, you are living in God's presence. Sometimes when it comes to politics, we know that politics is about keeping secrets. Not really letting people know what actually is taking place. And then what you often leak to the media is something that isn't true. So people are chasing that rabbit trail rather than what's actually going on over here. So many times politicians try to hide the truth. Well, I've got news for you. You're not hiding the truth from Jesus. He knows all there is to know. And politicians will one day be judged by Jesus. But the point here is that pastors will be judged by Jesus. And as it says in James chapter 3, not many of us should be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Why are pastors judged so strictly? Because they have great spiritual influence over others. If someone is not faithfully teaching the Word of God, they're leading many people astray. And Jesus will judge them for that. And they'll give an answer for that. The second thing we learned about what it means to be a faithful pastor is a faithful pastor must understand the content of his message. And it was simply this. Preach the Word. A pastor's job is to teach, illustrate, and apply the Word of God to the people of God. And a pastor must not become distracted off of that. Because I can tell you, there are many things that can distract a preacher from the teaching, illustrating, and applying of the Word of God. A pastor has to maintain laser-like focus on the primary core of his task. This is why when we get into Acts chapter 6, and we find that the, some widows are being overlooked in the distribution of food, the apostles didn't say, oh, we'll take care of that. They said, well, we need to appoint some sort of proto-deacons proto to, to work on that. Because it's not right that we should neglect the ministry of the word and prayer to wait on tables. Because preaching the word is such an important task. Because it's often in such short supply. The honest truth is, God doesn't care about the size of a church. He doesn't care about the budget of a church. He doesn't care how many people attend the church. If the word of God is not being preached at that church, it doesn't really matter at all. That is the core of what a faithful pastor's job is. And then we learned two weeks ago a little bit more about that. A faithful pastor must understand the scope of his mission. 2 Timothy, chapter, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. Paul says, Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience in teaching. As for time, a faithful pastor must be able to preach in season and out of season. When you're ready and comfortable... And when you're not ready and not comfortable, you always have to be ready to preach the Word of God. When you have lots of energy and you've just had a Starbucks, or if you're exhausted and you'd like to take a nap. 
you have to be able to teach the Word of God when people need to hear the Word of God. I often think about this. Did you ever like, try to get a hold of a doctor on the weekend? It just does not work. Well, they won't be in the office until Tuesday afternoon. Maybe we can make an appointment. It doesn't work that way for pastors. You can't say, I'm on vacation. Maybe we'll schedule an appointment to talk to you three weeks from now. You have to be ready at all times. You have to see when the window of opportunity is open and preach the word. As to what to preach, you don't just preach the things that are fun to preach, but you have to preach the things that are hard to preach. Because all of Scripture, the Bible says, is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, correcting, and rebuking, that the man of God may be equipped for every good work. So we have to open this entire book. And Paul said also that you're to reprove and rebuke. We learned this two weeks ago. Reprove actually means to create knowledge of sin. Rebuke is to show someone, hey, by the way, this part of life doesn't line up with the Scripture. So in one sense, reprove is intellectual issues, where rebuke is an emotional issue. It's like, now I know what sin is. Now I see that I don't connect with that in my life, and I have to repent. That's part of a pastor's job. And by the way, it's not just reproving and rebuking. You notice he also said it's encouraging, encouraging those who are struggling with complete patience as they go through that, and then to continue teaching again and again. Well, this brings us to our part today, which is our fourth point on what it takes to be a faithful pastor. And this is it. A faithful pastor understands the urgency of the time. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Paul is saying, Timothy, you need to expect that not everyone is going to be excited to hear the preaching of God's Word. In fact, you should expect that some people will not want to hear the preaching of the Word at all. Don't be surprised by that. In fact, he says, a, for a time is coming if you've been with us through our study of 2 Timothy, we've covered this before. But in Greek, there are two different words for time. There's the Greek word chronos, which means chronological time, the simple passing of time. We get the English word chronograph or chronology, just one moment after the other, no different than the last. But the word that is used here for time is not chronos time. It's what's called Kairos, Kairos time. We get the idea of seasonal time in our language from that. For instance, this is time that is notably different than other time. We have what's called winter time around here, which is no fun. And then we have summertime, which is fun. Yes, thank you. Now, they're both chronos time, it's just chronological time, but very different experiences of that time. So what Paul is saying is there are seasons that are coming, Timothy, 
that are going to be notably different than what you're experiencing now. You've been in a season where people have been receptive to the preaching of God's Word. It's sort of like summer season. But Timothy, winter time is coming. A spiritual winter is coming. When people will not be interested in hearing the preaching of the Word of God. They will reject it. Jesus talks about this as well. He says, Matthew chapter 10, 17 through 18, and then verse 22. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you'll be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. And you'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Uh, there was the day of Pentecost time when Peter got up and, and he preached and all kinds of people repented and they received the gospel. That was summertime. But then there is also spiritual wintertime where people rejected the gospel. And Jesus talked about this, where the apostles would be imprisoned and life would be very difficult. So a faithful preacher knows that these different seasons are coming. Some seasons where people will be interested in hearing the word, and other seasons where people will reject the hearing of the word. And they know that the door of opportunity to preach the gospel will not always stay open. It is open for a season. In fact, the harder we work to share the gospel and to preach the gospel, the harder Satan works to close that door of opportunity so God's kingdom does not make progress. And then Paul continues, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. The word endure literally means to tolerate. Expect there will come a time when people will not tolerate Bible teaching. And he calls this sound teaching. The Greek word behind this is hygienus. Hygienus, I can't pronounce it right. We get the English word hygienic from it, or hygiene, it means clean, it means healthy. Paul says to Timothy, expect a season is coming, a spiritual winter, where people will not tolerate anymore clean, healthy, simple Bible teaching. May not be that way now, but it is coming. It sort of reminds me of what it's like when you're feeding kids. You know when you have little kids and mom and dad, you feed them peas, you feed them carrots, and at first they like peas and carrots, and then they go over grandma's house. And what does grandma feed them? Cake, candy, yeah, everything they shouldn't have. And they come back to your house and you go to get the peas and carrots out. And what does the kid do? Out it goes. They want cake and candy, not peas and carrots. And you know what they need, but it's no longer what they want. And Paul says to Timothy, the same thing is going to happen for you. They need the preaching of the Word of God, but they will not want the preaching of the Word of God. And here's where it gets interesting. In context... Who are the people, Paul says, that will no longer want to hear 
the healthy preaching of the word of God? Is it the people of the world or the people of the church? In the context, it's the people of the church. Timothy, they won't want you hear you hearing, they won't want to hear you preaching God's word. They will not want solid, healthy, good Bible teaching. They will want what is called ear candy. That's what he says. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passion. Passion. Itching ears means scratch me and make me feel good. Some of you know we have a, a little dog. It's a dachshund, about seven pounds. She thinks she's about the size of a German shepherd, but she's not, about this big. That kind of attitude. What she always does is she walks up to you, she sits, and then she looks at you like this. And if you can meet her eye, and you're looking at her in the face, then she falls over on her side and does that. And what does she want? She wants a belly rub. So you give her a belly rub. You're like, okay, get that out of her system. So you stop giving her the belly rub. You walk away, and what she does is she gets up and she follows you. And as soon as you stop, she sits down and looks at you. And if you can meet her eye, what does she do? Once again, give me another belly rub. I'm like, you just had a belly rub. And she will do this all day long. Just, you know, give me a belly rub. Make me feel good. That is what I am living for. And this is what Paul is saying. In the church, there will come seasons of time where people will not want to hear solid, healthy Bible teaching. They'll have itching ears that say, you know what I'm coming to church for? I just need a belly rub. I just want to leave making me feel good. That's what I want. And Paul says, expect churches will be giving up on sound Bible teaching, really, because they want entertaining speakers. Have you seen that happen in America? Churches giving up on Bible teaching because they want entertainment? Maybe what the first thing that comes to mind is some mega churches. We all know what that's like, where, you know, the person looks amazing and they're a gifted speaker and they have lights and flashing things and smoke and they're not really doing anything else besides entertaining people. Often saying exactly what people want to hear, not opening this book and showing God's word. But before we point our fingers at everyone else, I think we need to examine the evangelical camp itself. Because sometimes in evangelical churches like ourselves, people are leaning into and desiring entertainment teaching instead of Bible teaching. If you're like me, you can think of camps or conferences that are really just entertainment orientated. I remember when I grew up, we went to a summer camp in, in New York State, and every year they would send you the brochure of who's going to be teaching on what weekend and what band is going to be there that week. And the way the, the gig always worked at that camp was you ate breakfast, then you went and heard your favorite Bible teacher, and then you could go out on the boats, and you could go out on the lake, and then you ate dinner eventually, and then they always had the concert at night. 
and you would sit there and say, which one is going to be more entertaining for me? Which one is going to be more fun for me? And by the way, I'm not saying that camps are all wrong or those things are all evil. That's not my point. My point is that all of a sudden you start to look at everything through the lens of what is more entertaining rather than what is going to actually teach me the Bible that I really need to hear. Because as evangelical Christians, we can fall into that entertainment culture so easily. My favorite quote on this was Erwin Lutzer. If you know him, he's the, the senior pastor of Moody Bible Church. He got tired of being asked to speak at all these Christian camps and conferences. He said, I don't want to go anymore because all I'm doing is feeding fat pigs butter. I'm just there for their entertainment. That's really what it boiled down to. Let me go ahead and flip here. We see this, by the way, also in the Old Testament times. Isaiah says this, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Hear my, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Isaiah, you want to go and you want to preach? That's good, but by the way, expect that people aren't going to listen to anything you have to say. They don't want to hear you speak the truth. In our country, uh, we see the same thing going on. There was a time when Bible teaching was respected in our country, and it was valued in our country, but it's now rejected in our country. It's often considered a form of hate speech. And I was researching for this message. I ran across an interesting story. Right now, with graduation going on, you see valedictorians and giving commencement speech. And there was a, a valedictorian I read about. He did really well. Obviously, first in his class, he was to give the commencement speech. And the school told him that you are not allowed to mention God or Jesus at all in your commencement speech. And he was apparently an outspoken Christian in his school. And he said, why can't I do that? I just want to thank God that's brought us to this day. Just want to mention that. No, you cannot do that. And he had this great response. He says, our money says, in God we trust. But why can't I say it in my speech and thank him for bringing us to this day? Doesn't it sound like the window of opportunity for healthy Bible teaching has begun to close in our culture? Most definitely. This isn't just something that we see happening in our culture. We see this happening in churches, where people are more interested in churches with being entertained than they are with healthy Bible teaching. In fact, churches are, are more about pleasing people than preaching the Word than ever before. An example of that would be the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, which is the largest evangelical or the largest Lutheran denomination. As many of you know, uh, they are for lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender marriage, and they will ordain LGBTQ pastors. Why do they do that? Because that's what the people want. Even though the Bible very clearly says in Romans chapter 1 that that lifestyle is not what God wants for us and is not pleasing to him. 
I'll give you another example of another denomination that is now about pleasing people rather than preaching the word, at least at, at some point. The United Methodist Church uh, it says currently they have 27% of their pastors are women. They would like to have more than 50% of their pastors as women. That's what they would say. They have 57% of their church congregation as women. They'd like to see at least 57% of all their pastors as women. And here's a, a quote right off their website. I put all the links there for you. The United Methodist Church, as a community conceived as a corporate expression of Christ's love for us all, has declared its belief in the full equality of women and its desire to embrace women and as historically decried institutional institutional sexism in all forms. They believe that the church has institutionally been sexist in not allowing women to play all their full rights in pastoral roles. You know where that comes from? That comes from a culture that is a feminist culture, but it doesn't come from biblical truth. This is what the scripture says. 1 Timothy chapter 2, 12 through 14. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Is the denomination about pleasing people or about preaching the word? Now, I'm just going to say 1 Timothy chapter 2 is not culturally comfortable, but it is biblically clear. Some people will say, oh, that verse, it doesn't apply at all. It was just a cultural thing from the ancient world, and in that time, women were oppressed, and Paul was just, just um, helping to oppress women. And that's just not true. If you look at the reasons Paul gives, it has nothing to do with culture. It has to do with creation, the creation story itself. He says, why is this true? Because Adam was formed first, and then Eve, and Eve was the one who was deceived. Now, I should mention, before I go too far into this, because I used this illustration to make sure I got your attention, and I certainly did. By the way, that the early church gave incredibly high value to women as compared to ancient cultures in that time. So that is very important to know. But uh, there was no such thing as a woman elder, and we don't have women elders here. And by the way, that's one of the reasons we don't have women pastors here. But very clearly, whatever you want to get out of this, it doesn't seem that Paul would be comfortable with ordaining women pastors. Because he says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Now, I know I've opened a huge can of worms. And there's absolutely no way I could begin to unravel that can of worms for you this morning. But I want to tell you that in the 13 years I've been here, I've preached on that subject three times. And I have on my website, I have when I preached 1 Timothy chapter 2, these verses, 12 through 14. And I gave you the link in the outline, and I'd encourage you to go to, that web, go to the website and learn from that message. Read the manuscript. Wrestle with it. The only reason I've given you this point is because I have to illustrate this. Churches will either decide to please the culture and go after the culture, 
or they choose to preach the word and have to submit to it. Many denominations, like I gave you the example of the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, and in this area, the United Methodist Church, are about pleasing the culture. They're about success. How can we get more people in the door and get bigger budgets and bigger numbers when you're not supposed to be about success? You're supposed to be about excellence. Are you being the right person before God? Are you doing the right things? Are you faithfully teaching, illustrating, explaining, and applying the Word of God as it has been written and inspired by God, not changing it to suit your own fancy? That is what's at stake. Now, what do people want to hear? It says here, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. This word passions literally means lusts. What people will do is they will try and gather teachers around them who will only say what they want to hear, who will only affirm what they already believe. Don't rebuke me. Don't correct me. Don't show me the truth. I just want to come away with a spiritual belly rub. Make me feel good. And Paul says to Timothy, you'll see piles and piles of these teachers who just say what people want to hear. And they're not biblical preachers. You know what they are? They're entertainers. They belong in Hollywood, not in a pulpit, because they're trying to just gather crowds rather than preach the word, which is what we're supposed to do. We see this kind of thing happening in the Old Testament, not just the New. Jeremiah says this, An appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely. The priests rule at their direction, not God's direction. And my people love to have it so. Prophets are lying. They're just speaking on their own authority. Why? Because they aren't preaching God's word. Or Ezekiel, I like this one. And they come to you as people come, and they sit before you as my people, and they hear what you say, but they will not do it. For with lustful talk in their mouths they act. Their heart is set on their gain. And here's the key part. And behold, you are to them like one who sings lustful songs with a beautiful voice and plays well an instrument. For they hear what you say, but they will not do it. Ezekiel, you're a great speaker, an amazing communicator. All kinds of people are going to come and hear you, but you're just like somebody who's a good singer. You're just like somebody who plays an instrument well. All you are is entertainment to them. They're not actually going to listen. They're not actually going to respond. All they want is belly rubs. All they want is an entertainment culture. Now, when we as Christians, or as the church, as it leans into this entertainment culture, what happens? There are two things, Paul says, that happen when Christians do this. And we'll turn away from listening to the truth, and also they will wander off into myths. That when you choose to pursue entertainment, Make me feel good on Sunday morning, as opposed to the preaching of the Word of God. What happens is you are turning away from the truth. 
reminds me of somebody going to the doctor. Maybe they have cancer, and they're waiting in the lobby uh, to hear what the doctor says about the status of their cancer. And in the lobby, you know how they have televisions are playing? And say they have on the television one of those Marvel movies. And hopefully you guys like Marvel movies. I like Marvel movies. They're really good. Captain America. Well, and you can become really engrossed in those. And as this person is watching the Marvel movie, being entertained, the nurse comes in and says, the doctor will see you now. And that person has to make a choice. Should I be here to be entertained by the movie, or did I come here to find the truth from the doctor? Well, obviously, you came to find the truth from the doctor. But it's so easy for people to say, well, no, I, I want to continue to be entertained. It's what do you want to hear versus what do you need to hear. And wandering into myths, by the way, Paul's point is this. When you reject the truth, you cannot live in a vacuum. When you reject hearing the truth, you will wander into speculation, you'll wander into error, you will wander into lies, you'll become Satan's pawn because you cannot reject the truth and go nowhere. When you reject hearing the truth for entertainment, you go into lies and deception. There is no other way out of this. I'll give you an example that's very current. Last week I was talking with somebody after the service and they happened to be at another church in the lakes area. And uh, you know right now the big thing in the culture is making sure you use the right pronouns for people. That whole transgender thing, you know, is it he, she, they, zir, or zer, other pronouns that you have to use to people to not be offensive to them. I've sort of not taking this pronoun thing seriously until I was doing some reading this week. And in Generation Z, one in every six people are identifying themselves as either lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender. So this whole idea of the pronoun thing is a big deal, supposedly, as we get into the future with this very younger generation. Well, what this person was telling me last week was they were in a church in the Lakes area, and the pastor of that church has taken this whole pronoun thing right into the worship service. As opposed to not addressing God the Father as Father anymore, using the pronoun of they for him. Jesus, don't want to address him as a biological male. That would be offensive to women. I don't even know what pronoun they used. But what it quickly occurred to me is, You've rejected the truth. You're wandering off into myths, into speculation. Your job is to preach the word of God, not entertain people of God, not to bend what the scriptures say, and not to ignore what the scriptures say. Just put your finger in the text and preach it. And you know what? There's going to come times where people don't want to hear it, where people don't like to hear the preached Word of God. But that is what everyone needs. And when a pastor takes and bends the truth or mutes the truth rather than preach the preaches the truth because they're afraid of how they may offend people, they're completely off base. And that is what they must not do. Folks, here at Crosswinds, we are not committed to be a successful church, to be the largest church out there, the biggest budget out there, have the most number of campuses out there. That's not what we're committed to. 
We're committed to be an excellent church. Committed to doing the right things in our hearts, in our lives, in our mind, and doing the right actions before God. Let the chips fall where they may after, because that is what a faithful and successful pastor and church looks like. Let's pray. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at ChristToOurCulture.com. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.